Hey, uh, what exciting things, huh? Got a couple of announcements for you today. First of all, if you are new with us today, or maybe it's your second or third time here, we really like to get to know who's been with us and who's with us. And so we ask if you want to, there's a couple ways you can connect with us. First of all, on the back of the, sh- the chair right in front of you is a QR code. You can just scan that QR code. It'll take you to our church center app. You can go to where it's, it's um, guests and, and register there. We get to know you. Otherwise, if you don't want to be as techy, also in the back of the chairs are some cards. You can fill one of those out. And later, when you're after church, when you walk out of the sanctuary off to, to your left, there's an area we call follow. It's like kind of a little nook off to the side. There's people sitting in there. They usually have a follow shirt on, and they would love to welcome you, give you a gift, and uh, explain any answer any questions that you have. And uh, so we would love to have you do that so that you can get to know us better and, and we can get to know you better. Hey, our kids, ages grades 1 through 5, you guys can stand up right now. Yes, first through fifth, grades not one, not one years old, yes, first through fifth, thank you. You guys can stand up, make your way to the back right now, go and have um, PB Kids, a great service designed just for them, they'll love it. You guys go have fun, okay? Invite our ushers to get ready this morning to receive our, our Sunday tithes and offerings, and we're going to be talking about that a little bit in a couple minutes, because today is a big day for us. I'll explain that, but we're doing, we've been having a special emphasis all of May uh, for Convoy of Hope. Um, but right now, we just want to receive our regular Sunday tithes and offerings. And what do we give God? Our what? We give Him our first and our best in our whole lives, in our finances, in our, in our efforts, in our energies, um, that we put Him first and we give Him our best. Because why? He's first and best. Amen. So Jesus, thank you for being so good to us. And Lord, we would pray today that as... as um, we worship you through our tithes and our offerings, that, Lord, you would be glorified um, as, as the kingdom of God is expanded through the work of Portview Church, every individual in here, and as we send uh, missionaries around the, across the street and around the globe to just take your love and the message of salvation to people that have never yet heard. Thank you that we get to be part of that through our tithes and our offerings. So thank you in Jesus' name. A couple of uh, things to remind you of as they're receiving the offering this morning. First of all, what's next Sunday? All right, annual uh, uh, no, teen challenge, which we have every year on Memorial Day, and our picnic. Remember, last year we moved a picnic, or moved our picket to the day the teen challenge is here. So teen challenge will be with us on Sunday. You don't want to miss teen challenge. If you don't know what teen challenge is, it's the world's most effective drug and alcohol rehab program and we have a couple of chapters of it locally. They're through our organization, through the Assemblies of God, but they're globally the most effective um, drug and alcohol rehab program on the planet. And uh, they come in, they tell their stories. Your heart will be absolutely amazed by their stories. And then we're having a picnic with them afterwards. So if you're going to come to the picnic, we need people to like grill and, and set up and tear down and, and bring side dishes. So there's a sign-up on the Church Center app and also in the connection area that you can sign up so that Christine doesn't go crazy at the very last minute saying, uh, who's going to do all this stuff? Because we're going to have a blast together. Also, tonight um, at 5.30, we have a, a worship and prayer night. And so we will love every one of you to join us. Yeah, praise the Lord. Worship and prayer night tonight, 5.30. Be here. It's going to be a little on purpose different. We're not going to tell you what that different looks like. You're going to love it. And so come ready to worship and to pray tonight. We're going to have a missions emphasis um, tonight. 
Also, men, we have our men's cookout Friday, June 2nd. So men, you want to be there for that. It'll be uh, great to have you there. So that'll be right here at Portview, 6 to 9 p.m. And then also, who went to the Brewers game last year? With us. A whole bunch more than you did that. We had a whole, so, so we have, we're going to the Brewer game as a church Saturday, June 10th. Are you happy, Christine? The greatest Brewer fan on the planet, Christine. There's even a Brewer sign-up area over there with flags and bobbleheads. You need to get your tickets. And so we've got the block of tickets. You need to get them. You can do it in a church center app. If you've got any questions on that, talk to Christine or talk to Pastor Mitch. They can help you get your tickets for that. And we'll, the church will provide the meal. You'll bring the side dishes if you want to tailgate before it. It's going to be a blast. And one more thing. May is what? Missions month. And we, so I, I tell you a story. I said I was going to tell this story every single week. About a month ago at our district summit, which is our annual business meeting for our organization, it was in Oshkosh, we heard a speaker there named Heath Anderson. And he was a representative of a ministry called Convoy of Hope. And in the middle of his message, I really felt, and you know, I don't say this stuff hardly at all. I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, Portview, scrap what you were going to do for May and instead raise $20,000 for Convoy of Hope. To, to help with this ministry. And I text, I actually made a note on my phone and I held it up to Pastor Mitch in the middle of the message. And I, look, I said, look at this. And he goes, okay, let's do it. <laughs> I said, all right, let's do it. And so, so we've been doing that. And we just mentioned it twice. Today's the big day for it. Today we're going to be watching in a few minutes something we've never done before. We're going to be watching a video from Heath Anderson, the same message that he preached at District Council he so graciously went down to the studios in Springfield and re-preached the message, but directly for our church. And so we're going to be watching. We've never watched a video on a Sunday morning before, but we're going to do that. And he's going to tell us about Convoy of Hope. We're already at 8,000 out of the 20. Um, so Suzanne and I said we'd give the first 1,000. 7,000 has come in, and today's the day for the offering. And we're hoping that after the end of today, we've raised over $20,000 for Convoy of Hope. Um, because we, you're going to see that you are going to absolutely fall in love with, if you're not familiar with Convoy, with what Convoy is doing. Ripley, I saw you added it to your YouTube channel, a thing about their agricultural ministry, that they help uh, impoverished people learn how to farm better. And on, and on Ripley's, on his, uh, what's it called? Homestead? Expedition. Expedition Homestead, which is Ripley's YouTube um, agricultural channel. It's, it's tons and tons of followers, so thanks for doing that. So let's... Sit back and watch this message, a little different, this message from um, Heath Adamson from Convoy of Hope. Hello, Hello Portview Port Church. Church. Pastor, Pastor Mark, Mark, I just, I want, just want to thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you for your partnership, your partnership with, Convoy with Convoy of Hope, and thank you for your heart for the poor and the marginalized, marginalized all over the world. world. You are a part, part of the church, church, the Church of Jesus Christ. Christ. The, church the church is the only is thing, thing he promised to build. To build. And everything, everything we do at Convoy of Hope is both with and through the local church. And together, whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. We are ending the cycle of physical and spiritual poverty. Today, when you woke up all over the world in 37 nations, Convoy of Hope fed more than 533,000 children. We demonstrated the gospel. And feeding is part of a comprehensive approach. It also includes things like clean water, education, and various opportunities. And for many of the children we feed, it is their daily meal. And this is why our team of nutritionists ensure 
that they have the proper blend of proteins, carbohydrates, micronutrients, and fats. Together, we've also now served and shared the gospel with more than 200 million people. In 2022, we responded to 75 disasters. When an earthquake, a tsunami, a hurricane, or a war destroys lives, we respond swiftly. Why? Because hope, it only works if we get there in time. Of the 75 disasters we responded to last year, it's in places like Ukraine, or even today, millions of refugees continue to flood throughout the continent of Europe. To put it into perspective what we've been able to do together, 85% of Ukraine's territory as a nation has been blanketed or covered by Convoy of Hope. In Ukraine alone, we have more than 300 distribution points. We also recently responded to the earthquake that took tens of thousands of lives in Turkey and Syria. It displaced hundreds of thousands of people. But we don't just respond to disasters halfway around the world. We also respond right here at home. When a hurricane destroys our southern shore, or even think of the rural town that's decimated by a tornado, together, we are there. We stand in awe of what God is doing. But frankly, our work together, it has only just begun. The events of the previous few years have literally shaped our generation. The world right now is in the greatest humanitarian crisis that we've seen in decades. What we do know is this, famine is on the rise. And because I frequently travel to some of the most desolate and arid places in the world, I've seen the suffering and the poverty firsthand. I've held malnourished and starving infants in my arms. I've gazed into the eyes of traumatized, war-shocked refugees. I've wrapped my arms around men who have leprosy. I remember speaking with a father in Southeast Asia. His family was hungry and they literally had no food. And he sold his oldest daughter to buy food for the rest of his family. Our world right now is full of hopelessness. And poverty is an illegitimate reality. It was never part of God's original design. How do we know that? Well, we go back to Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, God spoke and the universe begins to take form. But as you continue to read in the book of Genesis, when God creates humanity, God does not speak. Rather, God scoops up a mound of dirt and he breathes. I like to think of it this way. God speaks and galaxies form, but God saved his breath for us. And this means that every single person, regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, creed, political view, or religious belief, every single person is of intrinsic utmost value. We have never laid eyes on someone whom God is not deeply in love with, whom Jesus did not die on the cross for. But tragically, all over the world, many people, billions of people, do not even feel this way. Because of the recent events around the world, an additional 119 million people have stepped back over the threshold into extreme poverty. To put that into perspective, now between 865 million and 1 billion people are trapped in poverty. These are staggering numbers and almost impossible to wrap our brain around. But I've looked at the children, I've looked at the women, 
I've looked into the eyes of family members, the elderly, and I've seen the impact of poverty. It's true. Poverty is an illegitimate reality. It was never part of God's original design to begin with. And that means that if we preach a gospel, apart from justice and compassion, we preach a gospel that Jesus never preached. For example, in Mark chapter 5, when Jesus healed the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, this vulnerable woman spent all that she had. She went to doctors. She went to the best sources she could find, and she still suffered. She suffered quietly, and she also suffered publicly. And when Jesus healed her, in the gospel record, Jesus did not just walk up to her and say, be healed and continue on his journey. No, he stopped. He looked at her, and using an Aramaic term of endearment, in our English Bible, he calls her daughter. In Aramaic, it literally means royal one or princess. So Jesus doesn't just heal her. He restores her, her dignity. He esteems her value. In Matthew chapter 8, when Jesus heals a leper, someone who was marginalized from society, not only did Jesus heal the leper, but he healed the leper in a language that the man could understand. Jesus reaches out and touches him. I'm reminded of the story in John chapter 8. A woman is caught in the act of adultery. Now, to be clear, in the gospel record, Jesus does not excuse her sin. He does not ignore her sin. He addresses it. After all, the gospel tells us Jesus says, go and sin no more. But what takes place in John chapter 8 is not just an act of sexual immorality or, or adultery. It is also an act of gender inequality and social injustice. How do we know that? Because she was caught in the act of adultery. That means there was a man and a woman. But the crowd did not drag the man to stone him. They only dragged the woman. So what happened to the man? Remember, at this time in history, women were likely not even allowed to receive an education. They were not valued as much as men were. Um, and gender inequality profoundly impacted the livelihood of women and girls. This woman is caught in the act of adultery. Yes, she needed to be confronted, but the man was let go. Jesus addresses the sin, but he also confronts inequality. So if we preach a gospel apart from justice and compassion, we preach a gospel Jesus never preached. But if all we do is focus on justice and compassion apart from the gospel, then we simply give people a better brand of eternal misery. So it is not either or, it is both and. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, this is what it says. For God says of Abraham, I have chosen him so that he will command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Righteousness and justice. So let me pause here. Who is, who is Abram? Who is Abraham? Well, we know that Abraham was not technically a Christian. He was not even Jewish. Abraham was, for all practical purposes, a pagan Iraqi man. He is living in the desert, uh, in the plains of Shinar, and he would have worshipped the moon god of the ancient Babylonians. We have absolutely no evidence in Scripture that Abram is looking for God or Yahweh. 
What we see, however, in the scriptures I've read to you is that Yahweh, God, is looking for Abraham. God encounters Abraham, and his instructions are profound but very simple in Genesis chapter 18. He says, I want you to teach your children to keep my way. Well, how do you keep the way of God? Remember, Abraham is the one that God establishes a covenant with. And through Abraham, ultimately, the nation of Israel will emerge. The Messiah, the Son of God, uh, will come. And now, according to the New Testament, we are, quote, engrafted in to the body of Christ. And much of it started with the moment God and Abraham had in Genesis 12, in Genesis 15, and now in Genesis chapter 18. I want you to teach your children, God says, to keep my way. Well, how do you do that? How do you take the infinite ways of God and encapsulate them, summarize them in a package that a human being like us, like Abraham, can actually live out? Well, God summarized it in two words, righteousness and justice. In the Hebrew Bible, the words are zedekah and mishpat. Righteousness and justice are tied together in Scripture over three dozen times. Psalm 89 verse 14, for example, it says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Everything that God's throne and his kingdom encompasses, the foundation of that is righteousness and justice. Well, what are righteousness and justice? The word translated into English, righteousness means more than making honorable or pure right decisions. I think it's easy for us in our Western world, in our Western context, to just assume righteousness means doing the right thing. But in the Hebrew mindset and in the words of scholars, righteousness means to make things right, to set things right. And how do you do that? Through generosity and kindness. So Jesus is the most righteous person who has ever walked the earth. And it's not just because he didn't do, quote, bad things, uh, even though we know the Lamb of God lived a sinless life. It's because Jesus loved and served the poor, the marginalized, and those suffering under injustice. He restored them. Uh, he lived a life of generosity and kindness. Um. The cross is perhaps the greatest demonstration of righteousness because of what Jesus did, the most generous act in the history of the universe, the sinless Son of God laying his life down for the sins of the world. Now we can put on the righteousness of God. And at its core, justice is less about are you innocent or are you guilty? Are you right or are you wrong? No. In the Hebrew mindset, in the Middle Eastern context, Justice is much more about honor versus shame. Remember, when we read the Bible, uh, in order to understand what it means, we have to understand what it meant. So to bring justice to the world, it doesn't just mean that you take wrong things and make them right. It means that you restore people who have been shamed to honor. So righteousness and justice, it's all about God bringing justice to the world by exalting the humble, the marginalized, the vulnerable, by raising them 
to a place of honor and covering their shame. It seems a bit complex and academic, but it's actually very simple, so simple a child could understand. Righteousness and justice means that God, who is radically kind and radically generous for all of humanity steeped in our sin, means we are ashamed. Remember, John writes in the book of Revelation the words of Jesus, who speaks to the church, you are wretched, poor, blind and naked, and yet you say you have need of nothing. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that no matter how hard you try, you are marginalized. You are separated from God. And the only way we can be connected to God the Father is when we are restored to a place of honor because of the radical generosity of Jesus. Thank God for the gospel. Now, in Christ, we are restored to a place of honor Because the Bible tells us we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, it's the first time in Scripture where righteousness and justice are put together. Radical generosity that restores others to honor. And this is an idea that began, it originated with God. And centuries later, a Jewish man, an itinerant rabbi, a sage, named Jesus of Nazareth, we know him as the Son of God, he emerges, and Jesus will epitomize, he will put on display ultimately what righteousness and justice really look like. So we learned who Abraham is, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus, according to the gospel record, that is, he never really travels more than 100 miles from his hometown. Some scholars tell us he communicated on a third grade level, others tell us it was a sixth grade level. Well, Which is it? I frankly have no idea. We'll leave that up to the scholars. What I do know is that Jesus communicated in a way that little children could understand him. After all, in the gospel record, it is the little boy who brings five loaves of barley bread, barley being the bread of the poor, and two small fish to Jesus. Jesus was a Hebrew man, but he spoke Aramaic. His teachings, however, are primarily recorded in Greek. There are 125 unique teaching incidents of Jesus in the Gospels, 125 of them, and 13 start with content, and everything else starts with a question. It's kind of interesting, if you think about it, the way that Jesus, the Son of God, transitioned the world from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. He didn't pack everybody into a large auditorium and teach them a coherent belief system and you know, um, give them a test on how well they performed in the classroom. No, Jesus primarily asks questions and he tells fictitious stories that we call parables. That's how he introduces the kingdom of God to the world. We also know that Jesus is not the preferred way. He is not the most relevant way. He is not the easy way. He is not the Western or the American way. He's not the Republican way, the Democratic way, the Libertarian way, the Green Party way. According to Jesus himself, in the Gospel of John, he's the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. We're told in Scripture that there is no other name under heaven given to us by which we all must, we must be saved. That's who Jesus is. All other ancient religions had God's liturgy, deities who identified with the wealthy, the powerful, 
and the elite. For example, when an army was victorious in battle, they believed that their God was stronger than the defeated kingdom's God because they believed the gods only associated with the powerful. But Yahweh, who has a conversation with an Iraqi man named Abram, who sends his son Jesus, Yahweh is the first God, the only God in history who completely places his heart among the poor, among the stranger, among the widow. In, Je- in Exodus chapter 3, for example, it, the same God who encounters Abraham to do righteousness and justice, what does he do? He lights a bush on fire and he waits for Moses to draw near. And as soon as Moses draws near, God has a conversation with him and God says, I want you to go back to Egypt. But when you continue to read in Exodus 3, why is God encountering Moses and asking him to go back to Egypt? It's because the cries of Hebrew slaves reached the ears of God. What is God doing? He's saying, uh, bearing the burden of inequality and poverty is something I, God, want to do. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus, he inaugurates his entire public ministry by reading from the scroll of Isaiah, and he announces why the Spirit of the Lord is upon him to preach the gospel to the poor. Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. And as followers of Jesus today, as Christians walking with Jesus, it looks like something. It means that we live lives of holiness, and that we refuse to use relevance as an excuse to compromise the truth. It means that we have the humility to bow and also the courage at times to stand for what's right. It means that in an age of celebrity, we never trade the altar for the stage. It means that we partner with God to pull heaven to the earth. It means in an age where the love of most, according to Matthew chapter 24, is growing cold, that we maintain enough oil in our lamps, Matthew chapter 25, to be like those who are wise to where we burn in our love for God. It means that we never use God's sovereignty as an excuse to be lazy. It means that as a disciple of Jesus, we resist the convenient urge to memorize Jesus and instead we do the hard work and we become like him. It means that we recognize that the supernatural, the power of the Holy Spirit is not just a first century phenomenon. And it also means, in the words of Jesus, who said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor, that following Jesus means we love and we serve the poor. If we preach a gospel apart from justice and compassion, we preach a gospel he never preached. If all we do is focus on justice and compassion without the gospel, we simply give people a better brand of eternal misery. God says to Abraham, I want you to teach your children and your children's children for generations to come. I want you to start something through your family line, your family legacy that reverberates, that echoes through the generations around the earth. I want you to teach your descendants how to keep my ways and how do they keep the ways of God? Just two simple, profound things, righteousness and justice, radical generosity and kindness that restores people to a place of honor. A few months ago, I visited a village in the nation of Zambia. The village is named Nombe, 
150,000 people call it home. And half of the population is under the age of 15. When you walk through the streets, the dusty roads of Nombe, uh, the air is filled with a decrepit stench, a stench of open sewage. And yet these streets are also filled with beautiful children. Of the approximate 75,000 children who live in the village of Nombe, 70% of them are HIV positive. When you walk down the roads, you rarely come in contact with a man. Sure, some are off in other villages looking for work to try to somehow put food on their table, but what we found is most of the men are deceased. They've lost their lives from complications related to the horrific disease that we call AIDS. The government provides the children of Nombe free antiretroviral medication. If they take the medicine, it elongates their life. It improves their quality of living. But the children do not take their medicine. Why? We found out because it upsets their stomachs. It upsets their stomachs because they're supposed to take the medicine with food and they don't take the medicine because they have no food. Only 1% of the children in Nombe, we, we were told, will graduate from high school. And it isn't because they're less intelligent than your children or your foster kids or your grandchildren or your neighbors. It's because the children in Nombe are sick. They are hungry. They do not have access to clean water. And most of them and their families cannot even afford to buy a single pencil. There are many places in the world where children rarely, if ever, smile. And the gaze in their eyes is lifeless and blank. Some places like this where hope is buried. And hopelessness is very thick. And the burden that women, children, and people made in the image of God, the burden they carry is very real. And these are the places where a convoy of hope continues to serve. It's in places like Nombe where we feed children, the 533,000 children that we feed every day that I spoke of earlier. It's in places like this where God is at work and the sound of hope is emerging. When we arrived in Nombe, the children gathered around us and they began to sing. And we stood there, our breath being taken away. It was deeply emotional and deeply moving. And the children are singing, but they weren't singing to us. They are singing to God. And they're saying things like, you are a good God. You are a marvelous God. Why are they singing to God? Why did they worship God when we arrived? Because they would say God answered their prayer because Convoy of Hope recently built a kitchen in Nombe and we started our feeding program at the local school. God answered their prayer because now they have food to eat every day. The principal of the school pulled me aside and put it this way. When you feed a child in Nombe, that child can receive an education. And it is, placing, it is like placing that boy or that girl on a roof of a building so that the child can shout to the world, Here I am. Do you see me? Do you see me now? 
And on behalf of everyone who is privileged to serve at Convoy of Hope, and if I may be so bold on your behalf as well, I want to say to every single hungry child in the world, yes, we see you. And as the church of Jesus Christ, help is on the way because we are coming. I'm reminded of 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8, who describes God this way. God lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them, he sets them among princes and places them in seats of honor. That's what righteousness and justice looks like. Radical generosity and kindness in our lives that because the gospel is proclaimed and demonstrated, it restores people to a place of honor, both for this life and the one to come. Thank you for your generosity. I would like to pray. Father, I ask today humbly, but boldly, that everyone who is listening, that the words of Genesis 18 will forever echo in everyone's heart. Righteousness and justice. God, this is something we can all do. This is something we should all do. Living lives of radical generosity and kindness so that those across the street, those within our home, and those in places like Nombe are literally restored to a place of honor. A place of honor because they know you. A place of honor because their dignity is reintroduced to them. A place of honor because you not only healed the leper, you touched the leper. A place of honor because not only did you heal the woman who had been bleeding, you called her daughter. You address matters of inequality and injustice, and you do it not through a demonstration of military might. You do it through a demonstration of kindness and generosity. Lord, I pray, take a piece of everyone's heart who is listening today and take that piece of their heart for the poor and never give it back. I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Be part of something, uh, something that changes the world. How often do we feel thinking of an older person, Suzanne and I were talking to recently, and they're just kind of giving up on life and kind of like they have no purpose. And to know that as long as we have air in our lungs, we have a purpose. Number one, just telling others about Jesus, shining his light and his love, but also saying, how can I use whatever God has given me to change the world? What a great day to be able to come together, water baptisms, high school graduate and other graduate recognitions, God is doing amazing, amazing things, and we're so happy for his kindness to us. As we're wrapping up, let me just pray this great prayer over you as our church family. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand together this morning. Right after church, 
Um, the, there's a celebration for our graduates. There's cake in the cafe. Go out there and hug one of our graduates. Tell them you're proud of them. Um, hang out, drink coffee, spend time as the Church of Jesus Christ, loving one another. That's what we are. We're united. We're a family. Go be family out there. If you need prayer, want prayer, myself and our prayer team um, will be up here this morning. We will pray for you for whatever's going on in your life. But God bless you, friends. Have an awesome day in Jesus.